Lowry, welcome to Oil & Gas this week. Thank you. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you, brother. So we are out here um, in the north side of Houston, but you're not from around here, as correct. I understand. Correct, correct. Yeah. Give us a little bit of your background. Uh, presently in Silicon Valley area, uh, launched a company basically quietly, stealth, stealth, stealth launched, I should say, um, back in February, and then kind of uh, brought the company in earnest around June, July is when we brought on the team and, and started uh, um, building our device and, and taking it engineering. So we're, we're centralized in, in South Silicon Valley uh, down near San Jose. Uh, that's where I spend most of my time. Uh, prior to this company, I was the founder and president of a company called Dacry, which was engineering a very sophisticated, um, uh, very you know highly functional uh, smart what they call the smart helmet, which was a um, um, augmented reality immersive what they call an immersive augmented reality device similar to Hololens. So that's sort of maybe the most well known version. Yeah. So let's take a step back real quick. Give us the fifty thousand foot. Uh, view or at least the elevator pitch of RealWare. Okay, so RealWare is a uh, head-mounted tablet company. We make head-mounted tablets, which sounds, I think, a little strange. Maybe people haven't heard this before. It's, it's but definitely a first for me, and I, I, I pride myself on being a bleeding-edge crazy guy out here. So Right. So, so if you think about tablets, right, everyone immediately thinks about a little book, um, something like a Kindle reader or something you sit on, you use both your hands, you're on your couch, you're surfing, you're emailing, you're reading, you're uh, playing games or whatnot. And if you think of the user interface and the user experience for that, it was designed from the very beginning by Apple to be very uh, consumer-focused and consumer-based. Uh, but By that you mean handheld? Handheld, um, indoor use, not outdoor use, not very rugged because people weren't throwing it around or putting it in the back of their pickup truck. Now, if you took those same electronics back in 2008 and said, I want to design, I want to build a tablet that's not for consumer use, but for industrial use. I want people reading procedures on this. I want people uh, getting uh, different help or assistance or recording video on a procedure that I'm doing to show a younger or train a younger individual on how to do it. If you are putting together a tablet like that, uh, we believe it will be very, very different look, feel, user interface than what a consumer tablet looks like. So today, lots of tablets are beginning to be deployed in oil and gas, in engineering, in manufacturing, in aerospace, and those tablets are the ones that were built for consumers. Now, some of them have been ruggedized, some of them get put in cases and stuff like Otter that. Otter boxes, things like that. I I exactly. Our theory is we have created or designed a tablet that from the very, very beginning was designed for industrial and enterprise use, and in particular, oil and gas and other potentially explosive environments because we are creating a div one zone one version that will be released this summer Div one zone one break that down I've okay so so as most oil and gas folks that probably tune in know that there's uh, situations uh, in all aspects of oil and gas from upstream midstream downstream that have the potential to have uh, gasoline fumes or some sort of explosive environments and those explosive environments, when you put electronics in them, could lead to an explosion. Sparks. Sparks, hot temperatures, whatnot. And so there is a, uh, a craft or an engineering craft that is able to uh, build, design, and manufacture 
uh, very, very safe equipment that even on failure or whatever will not create a spark, will not create a hot temperature. And those are then certified for use in those very dangerous environments. But it's pretty rare. There's not a lot of companies that are doing it. There's not a lot of equipment and stuff that are available for companies that want to use state-of-the-art process improvement tools like mobile tablets and stuff like that. So for us, by creating a device that not only is built a tablet that's built for industrial use that you wear versus hold, that you speak to versus swipe and, and touch and point, but then also making a product, a second product in parallel to the first product, which this is a rugged only uh, type of a version, an intrinsically safe version of that that can work in those potentially explosive environments uh, was very important to us. So just for the listeners at home and even for myself right now, I'm trying to visualize are we talking about a RoboCop helmet with the shield in the, over the eyes? Or kind of give me a visual on what we're talking about here. Sure. No, we, we've made this device. That Unlike uh, the device that I helped engineer and, and bring to market uh, on, on the Daiquiri side when I was president of Daiquiri, I've taken a different approach. So uh, if the listeners are familiar with... Um, uh, Google Glass is probably mm -hmm. the most well-known. It's a very small, uh, what they call monocular, means single eye, single eye display. It's a, it's a micro display that floats in front of your eye and gives you a bit of a screen that you can put different information on. So our device is similar to the Google Glass, but it's a little bit larger. It runs around kind of your head in a, in a horseshoe fashion. So it goes around your head and it can mount and, 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 and be stabilized on your head itself, or it could be connected to a hard helmet or a bump cap or other uh, already worn personal protective equipment. So we've made it very modular. Um, it has a what called a boom arm that comes out. So think about it. It almost looks like uh, if you're if you're trying to visualize it, like um, you know some of the microphones that you see NFL coaches out on the field wear. You've got this boom arm, but at the end of the boom arm isn't a microphone that you're speaking into, like on the NFL field. It's a small micro display, and the device itself has about four microphones that are placed at different points around the actual thing that, that beam forms and actually creates a very, very noise robust voice extraction. So it pulls your voice out so that you can listen and hear, um, uh, hear, hear your, your very, like a whisper of a voice in a very no noisy, loud environment, which oftentimes in industry you're, you're in. So give me some use cases. So we have um, kind of categorized five major solutions for the hardware. So the hardware has uh, companion uh, software modules or solutions that will come with it. The first and a, and a very kind of uh, near and dear um, problem that, that's facing a lot of industries, including the one that I came from, aerospace, including oil and gas, is this bimodal workforce. And there's solutions that What do you mean by that? So a bimodal workforce is the idea that the boomers, the baby boomers, which were a big boom in population, are now aging and beginning to retire. And in between the boomers and the millennials, which are the younger, you know, 20 to 25-year-olds, there's a large uh, age gap. And so there's a knowledge, then, then that equates to a knowledge transfer gap. So you don't have the 40, 45 year olds. It's a huge problem in this industry. Yeah, it's a huge it's, problem. It's not only oil and gas, it's aerospace, like I said, it's manufacturing, it's lots of different industries are faced with that problem because it's, it's, it's a result of, of the boomer, the big boom, and that's why they call them baby boomers, the big boom in population that happened post World War II. Now that is manifesting in a way that we're, we're losing that, that inherent knowledge. And unless we capture it 
or unless we use basically those retirees to our advantage through technology, uh, it's going to probably mark sort of a significant decrease in productivity, decrease in people's ability to fill jobs and to perform jobs in a way that um, has been done for the last 10 or 15 years. So. So what does that look like then? You've because before we got on the mic, and then right now you've mentioned it. So I'm curious, what does that uh, look like in on your platform, or you know, with the technology as far as leveraging those boomers? Um, because it seems like they might be able to be integrated in, on a field that they're not there. I don't know how this works. Walk me through it. Okay, so so let me let me tell you like a little bit of a story. Okay, so I, I met a, a man a number of years ago who was a uh, uh, very, very well-known and, and very, very well-established tradesman. He was a master carpenter, and he had an accident on the job which um, hurt his lower back, which meant he couldn't go out to work sites anymore. He got his workers' comp, but that wasn't his full uh, salary, obviously, so that a lot of like uh, things had to change because he didn't realize he'd be forced into retirement so early. So we talked to him and we talked to some of the people in his particular trade organization about uh, this concept where he could work from home on his desktop computer helping young journeymen and young apprentices with different jobs that were maybe difficult for them to do. And this is how it will work. So you'll take this head-mounted tablet, the HMT-1, and you'll give this to the junior workers that are in the field, okay, the ones that are performing operations, difficult, dangerous operations on refineries, in refineries or in drilling sites or whatnot. And they'll wear this device. This device has got a 16-megapixel autofocus, auto-stabilized camera that's on all the time. So the thing is looking, observing, taking pictures, taking videos if necessary, but also being able to transmit what that person is seeing back to a person in their house or a person sitting at their desktop, what, uh, you know, what that individual is seeing, wherever they may be. And so then it's also equipped, like I was saying before, with <clears throat> a robust, uh, robust array of microphones, uh, speaker, uh, audio jack, if you have hearing protection, that you can pipe the audio into there, and then that little micro display. That micro display will show what the person at home is seeing. And then that person, through visual cues, meaning he can take his mouse and circle a valve or circle a switch and say, this is the switch I'm talking about. And in that micro display, that person will see that circle appear. So now that young engineer goes, are you talking about valve 673 over here? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. And then he grabs it. It's the one that, that's circled in his display. It's the one the guy gave him the audio cue to do. And he turns that valve. So now I'm able to remote train from hundreds, thousands miles away these people that might be retired, might have had the injury, like the, the poor carpenter guy that I had been talking to about this, and give not only that age by modal age gap we were talking about earlier, sort of a chance to kind of have a different method in which we train our up and coming millennials in these, in these workforces, but also it gives a potential another revenue stream to that guy at home, that guy who's retired, that guy that got injured on the job and is only getting 50% of workman's comp of what he's been. He has a chance to actually work where he wasn't a chance to work before. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what's so inspiring and, and, and passion-inducing in me, is that I'm a person that believes technology should supplement people and not replace people. I think people are, are fundamental to the way we do work and will continue to be fundamental to the way we do work for the foreseeable future. But technology can assist and supplement, not replace. And this is the type of technology that assists folks in efficiency, 
in speed, in safety, and in things like, um, um, like I just described, making the workforce smarter. So, you know, we like to say um, uh, faster, safer, smarter, right? right? So that's the type of results that you're going to get when you, when you uh, equip your workforce with uh, the HMT-1. Where does this passion come from within you for this particular? I mean, you're clearly a passionate person, uh, entrepreneurial parents. Uh, where does where does this come from? <laughs> uh, no, not quite. Uh, my dad was a psychologist, uh, you know, kind of. So you know how to sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the psychology of sales, I guess. And, uh, um, you know, my, I, very, very humble beginnings, actually. Um, I, I guess the best way is, is just certain people are born with an itch, right? There's uh, you, you go to a dog pound and there'll be eight puppies in a box and one puppy's just doing his damnedest to get the heck out of that box. He's clawing around and figuring out a way and everything else. I've always been kind of that, that dog in the litter, that the one that's trying to break boundaries, get outside my comfort zone, get outside my box and do things that I think contribute, that I think that are, that are paying back to society, doing my part while we're running around this. Uh... So, so you were at Daiquiri. I mean, where did you go to college? Okay, just a quick bio on yeah. me. I, I started uh, my career in the Navy. I was an enlisted man in the Navy. I was an electronics technician. I specialized in, in radar systems and things like that. And then I was picked up and went to nuclear power school where I was trained as a nuclear reactor operator. I did that for about three and a half years. The Navy elected to put me into college. I went to University of Illinois, uh, Urbana-Champaign, uh, where I received an electrical engineering degree in the mid-90s. So I saw kind of the first dot-com boom right kind of at uh, Ground Point Central. Uh, where Mark Andreessen graduated, where World Wide Web was really kind of evangelized. The first uh, browser called Mosaic was created at University of Illinois, all in my tenure while I was there. So I got a really kind of first-hand look at what technology can do and how it can be so explosive. I then went back to the Navy, and I served out another five years under active duty, and I got out of active duty and transitioned into the reserves in 2002 and started a civilian career. So I had a parallel career from that point on. Today, I've done 25 years. I'm in the process of retiring as a commander in the Navy. So um, Thank you for your service. Thank you very much. And then on the civilian side, what I did is I got from my nuclear engineering background and, and running nuclear power plants on board aircraft carriers and, and being qualified on submarines, I was able to take that and transfer that into a sales job, believe it or not. So my first job out of the Navy was selling valves, actuators, fluid control systems to oil and gas, food and beverage, paper, and of course power, which was my background. So I did that at Tyco for a number of years and then I transferred to an electronics division where I was made general manager at a pretty young age of a uh, consumer electronics uh, shop that did things for radar systems, communication systems, um, all sorts of things. I moved from that period over there, uh, that took about five or six years of my life uh, of working in the semiconductor space, and I moved to Raytheon. And at Raytheon, I was one of their senior most chief engineers that would run these great big multi-billion dollar programs. Some of them were troubled programs that I would have to kind of recover. And then some of them were new capture programs. And I was the capture lead on a very infamous or fam famous program that Raytheon ended up uh, merging victorious called Next Generation Jammer. In parallel to that, I opened or founded uh, Daiquiri in my garage. And so it was a garage effort, part-time, 20, 30 hours a week, 
you know, kind of burning the midnight oil to get that off and lifted. And three years later or so from the day we founded it, me and the CEO named Brian Mullins, uh, we got a very uh, good benefactor, good investor that came in and it allowed me to uh, leave Raytheon and, and, and focus on what really became a real passion to me. And that's what I talked about earlier, this idea that technology doesn't need to be robots that come in and replace the workforce. Mm -hmm. Technology should be a harmonious sort of, uh, um, um, or it should be engineered and it should be deployed in harmony with, with people. And we should be maximizing what people do best with maximizing what technology does best. And that's how we're going to get, you know, at the bottom line, the best returns, the best use of our money, the best, you know, highest uh, uh, advances when it comes to next generation and next generation. It's really a coupling of the two. And I believe very, very firmly in that. Well, and you also mentioned nuclear, and there's a very strong safety component in what we're talking about here is safer, smarter, safer, and so forth. Right. And uh, you can't get more in, more of an emphasis. You don't, there's, there isn't an environment where you you can't put m enough <laughs> of an safety. emphasis on safety in that environment. So that, that must have really bred that culture in you as well. Yeah, sa safety, nuclear power. I mean, the Navy nuclear power program, not a lot of people hear about it. They think nuclear, when you say military, they think nuclear bombs. This right. is nuclear power generation. So all of our submarines and all of our aircraft carriers are all nuclear powered. So the propulsion and the electricity and all that created by nuclear reactors. Now, that's not well known. And the reason is it's by design. One is, is we don't, Navy doesn't go out and market themselves as, as maintaining a fleet of uh, nuclear reactors. But second is, and, and, and what I think is the more important element, is there's never been a significant accident in 60, 70 years of steaming under nuclear power in the United States Navy. And the reason is robust uh, adherence to quality, robust adherence to safety. And so, yes, and, and oil and gas, there's no other industry on earth that I would put at that level but oil and gas, I would. It's extremely important that quality and safety be paramount. And the device and the technologies and the software and everything that I'm bringing to bear can help with that. Imagine, let me give you an example. Imagine a person going up or walking up to a blow-off preventer valve that's about to do some maintenance uh, in uh, procedure or inspection or something like that. And we all know that it can be very dangerous to get around those valves um, and, and, and do operations with that, that particular valve. So imagine if you had a Bluetooth beacon or something like there that was positioned close in close proximity that would trigger when you get within a certain radius a little video that pops up pushed to the individual, not something that he has to go select, but pushed to the individual, just gives him a 15-second rundown. Mm. Don't do these three things. Just a reminder, you know, don't do these three things, okay? That is all absolutely possible today with the HMT-1, with the head-mounted tablet one from Realware. So you put these things on their hard helmets. You click it on already wearing devices. You throw the boom arm out of the way. When you don't want to use it, it's out of your way. You don't even know you're wearing it. But when you walk into a proximity in a dangerous situation, it triggers an alert. It starts to speak to you through the, either the speaker or through your headgear that you're wearing, uh, you know, affixed to it. You drop the display down in your line of sight. It positions directly in the line of sight. You watch through a little safety video that might be 15 or 30 seconds. You push the thing out. You go do your job. Or you go call up a procedure or a video of somebody else doing the procedure. Or you pipe in the guy sitting at home that when you don't quite know what you're doing and you say, hey, I need a little bit more help. This procedure isn't helping me. So it's just a number of ways, if you think about a tablet, 
that you're wearing, that you don't have to hold, that you don't have to, you know, uh, obligate both your hands for adjusting the UI. You can talk to this thing. It picks up your natural voice, picks it out of very noisy environments, and then displays on this little micro screen that it's out of your way when you don't need it. And you pull it into your line of sight when you need it. So uh, it's a clever little gadget, I think, that a lot of folks will be very interested in taking a better look at. So I'm curious to hear because really what we're talking about here is is fundamentally changing behaviors of the most we're not going to change type industry in this in, uh, on earth um you know for good reason we yeah. talked about safety you know all of these but there's also the age gap and all these Mark and I debate on this all the time right. but regardless you came from aerospace yeah um can you talk a little bit about changing of behaviors and and the challenge you're up against and maybe some experience you have in the past? Yeah, I, I mean, first and foremost, first and foremost, right? Um, you know, I I was talking to I have two kids. Uh, one one of my my son is 19 years old. My daughter's 17, and they're real into this thing called League of Legends. This is a video game. If you haven't heard of it, that they play and compete and this and that. Well, it turns out that uh, the World Championship. Now, this is not a joke, by the way. The World Championship of League of Legends is held, was held this year, just recently, in Staples Center, where the cheapest ticket that you could possibly buy was $142, because my kids looked at it to see if they could afford to go, go watch the doggone thing. And despite everything that I've said about, hey, don't play so many video games and this and that, and them telling me that this is a different generation, that I don't understand youth today, that I don't understand you know, the idea that this could turn into a whole sports activity like football or baseball or basketball is so foreign to me that even though like in my mental mind I say, well, I can maybe accept that, I just fundamentally can't accept that video games could be uh, elevated to a basketball or elevated to a football or but they or fill baseball. arenas, like you said. Uh, it's amazing to me. It amazes me. I mean, I'm in my mid-40s, and I grew up with video games a bit, you know, Atari and Commodore and this and that, but I, it amazes even me, okay? And so we have to accept that this generation of millennials that is now coming of age and going out into the workforce, they're used to a life different than the 40, 50, 60 year olds that are out there. My age and older are not just simply used to doing work with technology. Where these kids are from two years old growing up with technology. So you clip something like this to a hard helmet and just runs right around the brim of the hard helmet, barely even know it's there. You clip something like that to a hard helmet and you put it on a millennial's head and within five minutes, that young man or that young woman is got it figured out and they are happy to use it, absolutely happy to use it. So I'm not saying that this device is meant for uh, Joe who's been working in the refinery for 40 years and knows everything there is backwards and forwards. It's not necessarily the right device for him, but maybe you do clip one of these to Joe's hard helmet and you turn that video on and everything that Joe's doing, you're capturing because you know Joe has eight months before he retires and you want to build a video uh, repository of every procedure, of every step, of everything, how Joe does it, how does he do it so quickly, how does he do it so efficiently, how does he do it so safely. Now I have a whole library of Joe videos that then can get played back to that young man or that young woman who is coming up and trying to fill in his shoes. And, and so it's an extremely important device, and one I do not think that even the most 
stubborn of people that don't want to change will mind it because it's so it doesn't intrude. It doesn't stop you from doing your job just the way you did it. You don't have to change anything, but you're capturing information and you're able to retain that information so you can give it to the people that need it the young generation that's coming up to take over these jobs. Well, and the thing is that even even the best of the best in any field, when you're going through a step of a, a procedure, sometimes you can go through the motions and your awareness isn't there. I mean, you, I'm a huge hockey fan. You see this in the Stanley Cup Finals where some team, they just let their guard down and all of a sudden four goals go in, right? right. And that's sort of a thing where, where maybe a guy that's been out of, you know, I guess my point is that you can never have enough awareness and, and why not just have a, a heads-up display, like you said, when you're walking up to some really extremely dangerous area that reminds you, hey, this, this, and this. It's, oh, thank you for that, right? It's like having a friend right there tapping on the shoulder. Hey, don't forget this, right? Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, it's uh, going to give you cues. It's going to say, hey, don't forget this. It's going to, you know, hey, if you don't want to call the boss and say, hey, I don't remember how to do this procedure, you just want to look up in a library a video of someone else doing that same procedure and quietly watch it for a minute or two before you go off and do the procedure yourself. I mean, all of these things are, are, are options. And it's, you know, it, it, it Theoretically, it could be an option with just a tablet or a mobile phone as well. You could do these same application. I'm not trying to say this thing is, uh, you know, some sort of earth-shattering technology. This is mobile phone, mobile tablet technology that we've just put in a physical user interface, user experience way that's, that's well-suited for industrial work. Whereas a tablet that you hold in both hands, one to hold, one to click through and swipe, that is not well-suited for industrial work in most cases. In some cases, maybe, but in most cases, it's not well-suited for it. So real quick, I just wanted to say, as listeners are, are potentially listening to this, realware.com, R-E-A-L-W-E-A-R.com, because I always think we should have said this at maybe the beginning, because you know, if you're looking at what, if you want to listen to me and look at what this thing looks like and, and kind of imagine how it could be used, we have got a very, very... Uh, almost overly wordy <laughs> website right now, <laughs> and I'll say kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek, that will describe in, in detail these use cases, the way you can use the thing, the way it kind of tran- uh, translates to ROI, return on investment, a more confident workforce, a more efficient workforce, a more safe workforce. Those are the three things that we pride ourselves in doing. Yeah, and, and all, all these older guys in the field, they can stop being so mad at the millennials for staring at their phone because it's been training them to look, <laughs> look up at your, at your device, right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a great way. They, the old guys won't even know that the young guys are looking at uh, <laughs> a, different screen. a different screen because it's just right there in their line of sight and they can look right over it and see them eye to eye. So, yeah, it's, it's something that, that, you know, there was a, I saw a comic of there's this uh, depiction of us as we uh, evolved from like a monkey up right, to a yeah, man yeah. and then we like went back down when right. we were looking at our computer <laughs> big yeah. fat guy at the computer I, can, I know the one well I can imagine two or three more steps of us going from computer to mobile phone and now to the HMT1 where we're <laughs> fully standing up straight again looking looking out get some marketing collateral on that one <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you can maybe help me with that James all right so. well it's been a fantastic conversation um, I'll get all your contact information in the show notes including the link but in, in case anybody's listening and want to reach out to you how can they contact you personally real easy andy 
A-N-D-Y at realwear.com, R-E-A-L-W-E-A-R, like you wear something. So realwear.com, and that's because we're realware, we're not vaporware. <laughs> There's a lot of vaporware out there in the space, and we're trying to be the real stuff, okay? All right, perfect. Well, thanks again for joining us. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your stay here in Houston. All right, I sh- certainly will. Thanks a lot, James. Nice to meet you. Bye-bye.